Hello and welcome to S'mores by Fireside. As always, you can visit meetfireside.com to learn more about our marketing services for small businesses. You can click on the S'mores tab and watch all of these episodes in video form, or you can download us in podcast form wherever you like to get your podcast from. Today, I am delighted and honored to be joined by Dave Carricker. Dave spent many years as an executive at the Campari Company before leaving a few months ago to set up Raptor Communications. And if you go check it out, probably the most original t-shirt store on Etsy. Dave, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for the plug for my t-shirt business. It's uh, my golden years uh, success ticket, I think. Um, Ironic gay-themed t-shirts. That's where I'm going to make all my money. I love it. I want the, um, uh, can you hear me now for this COVID era, the era that we're still recording this in. That is- <laughs> actually, that t-shirt is, is it actually says, I think you're on mute. Oh, does it? Um, okay. But it's, it's, now been, it's now been supplanted. That used to be my number one t-shirt. It's now been um, supplanted by my latest, which is, sorry, Karen, I am the manager. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find that on Etsy at Oops, I'm Gay Store. That's wonderful. I will let everyone into a secret, which is Dave was one of the first people to really hit onto the uh, the Karen phenomena. And I actually reached out to him on Facebook messaging him and like, Dave, you're going to have to explain to me what this Karen thing is, because I certainly hadn't come across it yet. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's sweeping the world. And let's just all now there's Kyle as well. If you're a, a male Karen, you're a Kyle. So if anybody Kyle. calls you a Kyle, you know exactly what's happening to you. Good grief. Thank goodness none of our children are called Kyle or Karen. Or Karen. <laughs> I may actually have had to come back and change their names. I think it might have uh, screwed that up so much. There are some names, though, that just have such terrible connotations. Like there's some, I, I won't offend anybody who's listening, but there are certain names where you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a stripper name or that's an that's a unappealing name for one reason or another. Like Sparkle. Like, <laughs> I happen to know a gal named Sparkle. And, wow. and she may or may not be a stripper. I don't know, but you're 100%. But how Karen, like the most common, maybe that's the problem. It's like such a common name. That's, that's the reason why. That, that, that yeah. Karen and Kyle. Okay, well, I hope there's a married couple out there listening somewhere. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you're a Karen and Kyle married couple and you reach out to me at Fireside, you can have something for free, for sure. Uh, maybe, maybe a name renaming party. Um, so before we talk about Raptor, and I really want to talk about the current times and communication and messaging around that, will you tell us a little bit about your time at Campari? You know, I, we're connected on social media, so I got to see you doing all sorts of fun things uh, out there with Matthew McConaughey and others. And um, You had a, a good long run there, I believe. Yeah, so I was the head of communications uh, for North America for Campari for... 12 long years, imagine staying at a, com- a company for 12 years, much less a company run by Italians. <laughs> so you have to imagine how that was like. Um, but it was fascinating because uh, not only did I handle the corporate side of um, communications, I handled all the brands as well. So day in and day out, your, your job changes based on who the demographic of your brand is. So for Sky Vodka, for example, um, you know, it's fun, it's party, it's young, it's millennial, a lot of LGBT, um, a lot of multicultural. Um, then in the afternoon, you work on wild turkey, which could be good old boys and, you know, heavy, heavy uh, whiskey connoisseurs. And then later in the day, you work on Aperol with the Aperol spritz, you know, the Instagrammable cocktail. 
So it was fascinating to me to, to and it's, it's kind of like working as an agency within a company because you have all these different clients that are completely different, mm-hmm. all trying to get your attention and, and coming up with these different approaches to how to promote those brands. It's really fascinating. How big was the communications team to handle all that? <laughs> no, I'm uh, guessing Italian, small from that Italians reaction. Italians don't like overhead. So um, we were a team of a very powerful team of six, um, but we had up to 12 agencies working for us at the time. Okay. Okay. And what did you start there as? Were you in the same role all the way through? Yeah. So I, um, I used to work, uh, I've always been in uh, communications in some form. I was a television reporter, then got into PR. And uh, <clears throat> I've been in like three basic categories. There's retail. I worked for Kmart, led their marketing um, communications um, that's where I honed my crisis skills. Um, Martha Stewart used to be our biggest brand at Kmart, $1 billion brand. And I was there doing communications when she went to jail. Um, and when the company went bankrupt and when the company was featured in Bowling for Columbine with Michael Moore, all of that was, uh, some of my handiwork. Um, and then, uh, I also did video games. I was head of PR for Sega and head of PR for Sony PlayStation. So launched PlayStation 3. And then uh, your fans in England might remember a company called Allied Demec, mm-hmm. uh, which was the second largest spirits company in the world before it got broken up in a million pieces by Beam and Pernod. Um, and that was Stoli, Maker's Mark, Salsa, Kahlua. So it's, if it's video games, booze, or retail, I've probably touched it at some point in my career. That's a pretty fun list. It's, my wife and I were going through our sin list the other day of all of the uh, marketing clients we've worked with. And I think I've covered alcohol, tobacco, three different religions, most uh, gas spewing uh, car manufacturers. Your, your list sounds a lot more fun than my list. Well, I'm glad to hear firearms aren't on that list of yours. No. You almost had the trifecta, but you missed <laughs> <No>. firearms. <laughs> I almost got them all. I think at one point we did a campaign as well for the IRS. So, I mean, that really doesn't make me, uh, make me a good person by any stretch of the imagination. No. Surprised you have any friends at all. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so then, well, I am curious. So people have a, I think, misconceptions about communications and PR. So before we kind of move on from the time at Campari, what does it mean to you? When, some, when you talk about communications and you use the term communications instead of PR, are, are they different? What's the real role of them? Well, I think PR in terms of uh, what people think is a traditional PR is dead. Like the idea that I'm gonna pick up, I'm gonna write a press release, I'm gonna send it to the New York Times, I'm gonna call the New York Times, I'm gonna talk to that editor, I'm gonna get an interview, and the New York Times is gonna print that story. That still happens, but to like such a smaller degree than previously. Um, now, you know, it, it's basically how do you build a communications platform? How do you build the story that you're going to deliver through all these different communication vehicles? So PR is one, media relations is one, but then you have social media, you have digital, you have you know consumer experience, you have direct to consumer have, you know, all of these different avenues. And the idea is that you build this really great story that is so compelling that it lives in all these different environments, these communications environments. So you're getting this very uniform story that gets delivered to people and, you know, compels them to do something because it's a great story. And so with your new entity, Raptor, is, is, that, the, is that what you're doing, but just now for a broader type of, of customer? 
Yeah, so my, my whole business is really focused on diving into what the story is that your brand is telling. So when I go through this really intense process, and I won't go into too much detail about it, but, but basically it's, it's, it's uncovering all of the nuggets about your brand that you really hadn't thought about. Mm. Like every single brand has these little bits and pieces that create an interesting story. Then what you do is you take those bits and pieces and you compare it to all your competitors. And if a competitor's already telling that story, unless you can tell it infinitely better, we're not going to tell that story. That's just a sideline piece. We're going to find that one story that no one else is telling. So a good example is I was working on uh, recently on this brandy that is a California brandy. And we are looking at all the brandies made in California. And strangely, all they were doing was comparing themselves to cognac. Hmm. So immediate opportunity is let's just be a California brandy and not compare ourselves to cognac. And it seems simple enough, but, but the, but the client was just like, Oh, we, we need to be better than all these other guys. And I said, well, all, all the other guys are driving this direction. Let's drive this direction and build it around this really amazing story. Mm-hmm. So that's when we dove in and we found out about the first grapes to come to California, how they got here what kind of wine was made to make this brandy? Why were they making brandy? And there's a really, really interesting story that if you know, I tell it to a person that's trying our brand for the first time, they're sucked in, they're, they're engaged. So that's what I'm more focused on now is like, what is the story you're gonna tell? Because anybody can deliver the story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how great the story is. Like what's the, what's the screenplay? What's this plot? You know, who's the villain? Like That's all interesting that to hear real. you describe it that way. I, um, you know, I suppose having been in this industry so long, you probably do the same thing. You can't read something in the press or watch an ad on TV without thinking about why they came up with that ad. <laughs> Telling the different story, I saw such a, such a terrible example of, I think, a brand trying to find a new angle. So we watch, uh, we're here in Denver, Colorado. We watch a lot of uh, the BBC back from England. And so when we're on a VPN to do that, it sends us the British ads as well, because of course it thinks we're in England so we can access it. Um, Hope nobody from the BBC is listening. I don't want to lose lose my access. But I always find it helpful to watch ads from other countries because often they'll have a bit of a difference or a bit of a new angle. However, to this idea of finding a new story, there is a Lexus hybrid ad that is currently running in England. And their new Lexus, it's just a hybrid like any other hybrid. They have their own brand nuances, of course. Um, But they are positioning it as the world's first self-charging hybrid. Now, of course, all hybrids are self-charging because you put gas in them. And then when it's not, it's using the gas, it's recharging the batteries. So hybrids have always been that. But I can just imagine the meeting where some communications and marketing people came together and like, man, we've got to get a new angle. We've got to be different. And someone's like, self-charging hybrid. And they're all like, yay, that's our way forward. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. Okay, I'm going to bring up two things. First, same thing when, when pitching the idea how the client must have reacted. There's now a, a new uh, fabric softener um, that makes it so your clothes stay wrinkle-free longer. And the commercial that they came up with is um, two senior citizens um, in a closet and they 
something falls off a shelf, they bounce into each other, they get wrinkled, they come out of the closet, and uh, the grandkid is standing there assuming they had sex in the closet. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, and later they do have sex in the closet, obviously. Um, but I was just thinking about, like, what's the pitch there? I'm like, okay, so listen to this client. <laughs> Two senior citizens. Called <laughs> Kyle and Karen. <laughs> Kyle and Karen, get it. Hmm. Um, no, uh, one thing I do want to bring about, like, um, when thinking about the idea of what's relevant and how it's relevant, um, I've been having so many conversations lately, and we're going to dive into this a little bit, but um, about for small companies um, that don't know how to do communications, they don't know what their story is. And so they, they show up, they get somebody to write them a press release that tells people about their business. They send it out to media and they wonder why they're not getting the coverage. And, you know, and I, I always say, you know, put your reporter hat on for a second. Think about what the reporter is covering at the moment. And over the past three weeks, I've had a lot of clients saying, you know, how do we get coverage? How do we get coverage? And I said, if you're not talking about Black Lives Matter or COVID, you're not getting coverage this month. Right. Full stop. Um, but think about how you can insert yourself authentically into that story. So, for example, I got a press release today that talked about the fact that um, this winery now has um, nationwide distribution. And kind of dug into it a little bit deeper and found the story. Well, it's a black winemaker. Mm. He used to work. He, he, he won a Super Bowl. And like, there's all of these pieces that weren't in the press release. And I was like, wait, <laughs> like, right. you guys are missing the ability to insert yourself into the story. So thinking, you know authentically being able to insert yourself into a story, but thinking about what, what the reporters are covering and A, is it the right time to even talk to them? But B, is there a way for you to become a resource as part of the story or provide a story angle that they haven't thought of? Well, and also to your point about communications being broader than blasting out a press release and, and sitting at home and praying, um, that must surely appeal as well, I would have thought, to their general social media strategy, even if they're not thinking about how do I attract a journalist's attention. It's going to help them fit into the narrative of the world that they're end consumers in as well. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of, um, you know, t thinking about what your consumers are expecting from you. When we talk about social media in particular, what your consumers expecting you to do? And, and let's just go ahead and dive into this, this, yeah. this conversation that we're going to have, because because, because this is leading right into it. Um, you know, the, um, the big thing that I've been dealing with over the past three weeks is everybody wants to get involved in the conversation regarding Black Lives Matter. And everybody thinks they should be involved in the conversation. Um, and I think it's a 100% most important conversation we've had in a very, very long time in this, this country. Absolutely need to be had. Um, but I go back and I ask those clients and like, okay, well, you can put out a statement, but the first comment in the social media post that you put out is going to be how many people of color are on your executive team? Are you prepared to answer that question? What are you doing to, 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 to move this forward truthfully? And if your only answer is we're forming a task force, <laughs> it's the wrong answer. Like, so, so when, when these things come up, when these, um, you know, moments come up, you have to think about, can I authentically insert myself into this? Um, and the other side of it is, does my consumer audience expect me to insert myself into this? 
So everybody expected Nike and Gatorade and those brands to insert themselves into the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I was seeing, you know, did Ferragamo need to insert themselves in? Right. You know, have they ever spoken out about this in the past? Right. Is is it is it anywhere in their history that they've they've demonstrated this? So you 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 can easily set yourself up for a lot of arrows by not being authentic in the first place. And sometimes it's better just to say, this is a problem and we're gonna deal with it internally and not make it, you know, um, we're not gonna try to demonstrate our values that we pretend to have or you know, we, we hope people think we have. So that feels right to me. It also feels like the dilemma for a lot of brands, uh, particularly thinking about a lot of our audience, right? It's we have estate planners as clients, we have chiropractors, we have, you know, local breweries, things like that, right? So the businesses that are really talking to often a smallish geographical area, um, often one, two, three, maybe a dozen employees in the business. Um, they've all gone through that dilemma of what do we do, right? Is it, should we post something and risk feeling inauthentic against, should we post nothing and therefore potentially face criticism for not doing anything about it at all? Um, it feels like there might be a easy slash lazy ish solution, which is to go with the zeitgeist and make their profile image black for a day or, you know, the things that are kind of convenient. But again, the dilemma there is that feels inauthentic. How should businesses of that size kind of address this problem? Okay. Well, we've just had a great learning moment. So let's, let's take this learning moment and, and go with it. So let's assume you've already taken some kind of a stance on Black Lives Matter. Um, whether you took, it's too late now. To, to post something at this point, mm. um, I would say, for most for most companies. If you haven't already said something, it's far too late. Yep. Um, unless, unless you're taking an action based on your discovery that you aren't doing enough. So, you know, we're going to spend all of July volunteering to help um, uh, Black-focused, you know, schools in Black neighborhoods, something like repainting all of the schools in Black neighborhoods, something like that. Um, but so, so this, this, now you have this learning moment, you take a step back and you say, okay, well, our values, our mission and our vision for our company weren't strong enough to direct us on what to do immediately. Hmm. So therefore we have a problem. So if, if, if we couldn't come up with a clear answer of what we should do based on our values, our missions and our vision, then they're not strong enough. So you need to revisit those and go back and say, okay, are these just too soft? Um, are we not truly living these? If we're not truly living these every day, then you know, if inclusivity and diversity is part of your values and your entire executive team is white, that's not a value. That's fake. Mm -hmm. So you need to go back there. And this is where I, I, I tell employees particularly, you need to be challenging the executive team to say, are we living up to these things? Mm -hmm. And, and even, you know, I realize we talk a lot to small, small companies here, but I've been telling, you know, departments within companies, 
act like your own company right now. If your company is so big that they can't move this forward in a meaningful way, you can set standards for yourself, for your own department. So let's take a marketing department. You can set up your marketing guidelines of how you work with marketing agencies. So 50% of the agency must be multicultural. All of the advertising produced by the agency must have a third party multicultural sensitivity um, com commission review. All of the, uh, the people in the ad must at least be 50% people of color. Mm -hmm. You can do those small things without having, you know, not your whole company doing it. Your individual um, folks can, uh, departments can do it. But going back to the, the main point here is revisit those mission values and um, uh, vision and discover if they're really true. If they're not, start over. So there is a, you know, we talk about communications and generally we think about it being an external factor. To your point about talking to the employees within a business as well, there is such fascinating data about this millennial cohort. And I'm very careful using the phrase millennial cohort because I think <laughs> overused, misunderstood. But when you look at the real research behind their wants and needs in the workplace at the moment. And let's be clear, the millennials turned 40 at the beginning of this year, right? They are no longer the 20 something year olds that lots of people kind of write them off to be. And they're different in so many ways. The, on the coast, the primary breadwinner is the female of the household now. I mean, it's an entirely different makeup. Um, you go back as recent as 30 years and what people would state as their top requirements for a job would be money, security, something of convenience. Now, within the top two generally results, people in that millennial cohort, kind of 25 to 40, will rank and talk about the company's values. And it often gets lost as statistic because they use lots of different language to phrase that. But ultimately, in the top one or two, usually there is something value-based. I think a lot of these businesses are relevant of size, are not only communicating to the media and the customer base and the world when they're doing this, they're also communicating to their employees and the employees are paying attention whether the owners of the company realize or not. Yeah, I think, and, and purpose is one of the absolute tops right now for that millennial audience. We're, we're going to see what the Zoomers and, and everybody else thinks about that. Um, but there is uh, now, uh, for the companies that you work for, for that group, that it's a, you know, it's a value badge. REI or Patagonia, I mean, that is a badge, right? Yeah. It tells people something about you. If you say you work for Coca-Cola um, or Quaker, you know? Um, yeah. So, so um, and, but, but, you know, 20 years ago, if you worked for Coca-Cola, it's like, oh, you're climbing that ladder, you're, you're going for that money. Um, nowadays, people don't look at that and say that in the same way. Um, so I do think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's super important for, for companies to be forward-facing um, with their purpose, with their values, uh, to attract that kind of people. And the thing you find with those, those employees as well is that they're so passionate about the company that they will fight tooth and nail for the company. And you always have to remember that your number one consumer is your employee. And if you're not working hard enough to win over that employee, then you're never going to win over the consumer. Um, you know, those are the people, the employees are the ones that are out there 
advocating for your brands every single day. Um, and when you think about the reach of, just think about the reach of your employees on social media, their total, their total reach, um, it's absurd. So, you know, at the end of the day, what you wanted in this whole instance was those employees saying, my company's doing great things about Black Lives Matter. Here's what we're doing versus you, the company, saying. Right. I feel included. I feel like I have a voice. I feel like I'm respected and accepted. And so yeah. On. Yeah. Wow. So for a lot of these, there's a resounding message here, really, which is, Sure, there are marketing techniques. Sure, there is PR. Sure, there are ways to craft messaging and imaging. But really, we live in a time now where authenticity is perhaps the most important thing. And if you're not living it, it's almost impossible to put out a message out there that feels authentic. Yeah, and there's a trap here that I saw a lot of companies doing the, um, we're not doing enough, we're listening, we're taking steps to move forward. That works once, and mm. the next time there's a crisis, you're not allowed to say that again. Hmm. So you just played that card, um, and you better be prepared that the next time this happens, that you are able to stand up and say proudly, we did this, yeah. and we do this. Um, so this is not one of those things where, hey, we, like you said, we put up that black box for a day, we established a task force that we hope to hear from in six months. The next crisis could be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I'm encouraging everybody that they need to find immediately um, answers. And again, it goes back to your number one consumer, the employees. The employees need to hear immediately that the executives take this seriously. They didn't hand it down to a task force to take care of. And one of, one of the things that I can't overemphasize this is not your black employee's problem to fix mm -hmm. for you. I, I cannot tell you how many people I've spoken to who are so off put by the idea that now they've been invited to all these task force, people of color have been invited to all these task force to help solve a problem that a bunch of white executives have, have caused. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, you have to be respectful of that. And it, and it you know, there's a, there's a there's a there's a an amount of woke that needs to happen mm -hmm. at the executive level, and but it has to be, you know, there has to be a yearning to for that to happen. You have to want to absorb that. You have to want to, as a leader, recognize you didn't do a good enough job, perhaps, and then soak it all in, soak it all in, and do something about it. You know, you need to become alive with the idea that you're going to fix this. I just had a horrible flashback to sitting in an executive agency meeting nine, 10 years ago, maybe, um, when uh, a lot of the Supreme Court conversation was happening around um, gay rights. And I can just picture this gentleman now sitting there saying, why don't we send out an email and ask everybody who is gay in the company to make this social media post? And it's like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, it was a holy shit moment at the time. But I mean, to even look back on that, it was, you know, in today's world of 2020, it's, uh, it's an entirely different scenario. That is interesting. I wonder how many people are sitting out there thinking, um, you know, it is, it is somebody else's problem. It is BIPOC. It is homosexuals. It is whatever the, the topic is, right? right. Um, we should let them have a voice and, and they be the solution. That's terrifying that they think that way. 
Yeah, it's it's um, you know it's a very old school way of thinking. I think I think there are true leaders that um, that really, like I said, they absorb things even if they weren't, even if it wasn't on their radar previously. They absorb it and they make it their problem. They make it a mission, and they see this is a problem I need to fix personally because somebody in my company is hurt. A person is hurt. Um, I think you know who those leaders are and you know what to expect from those leaders and you know the leaders that aren't. Um, and I'm not convinced you can push a leader that isn't self-aware to become self-aware. Right. It's very difficult, particularly then to be able to speak about it authentically in a short period of time. I mean, of course, people change. People do willingly investigate and learn. I'm very careful not to use the phrase listen and learn because it's become Mm -hmm. the thoughts and prayers of 2020, right? It's the most useless thrown away phrase that somebody could say. Um, Of course, there are people who change, but then there are lots of executives who don't change and they will feel like they need to go say something and then they're not going to come across authentically because it's all brand new to them and it might not be their core root feelings that they have. Yeah, it's funny, the, the evolution of the diversity officer. Mm. And, and, it, and it's, it's, it's kind of when you hear somebody say that, it's, it's, it's oh, great, the company's, the company's hired somebody to focus on diversity. To me, that says that no other executive was focused on diversity. So much so that we hired, had to hire somebody from outside the company to check us to make sure we are. Right. And you can I mean, imagine the conversation from that ex- executive team of, you better make sure it's a gay black woman. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, if, if I, I, I kind of, I hadn't really thought about this, but, but I feel now that if I found out they had a diversity officer, I wouldn't want to work at that company. Mm-hmm. Knowing they had to hire one and knowing it probably came from an incident that we didn't hear about. Right. Right. Yeah. Something occurred. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have an opinion. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, uh, it it all comes down to really thinking through these things and really thinking about, you know, if your company was a person, how do you, how would you, how does this company act as a person? What do they do? What don't they do? What do they talk about? What don't they talk about? We talk about that a lot, particularly when we talk about social media um, and brands on social media. So if, you're, if your brand is a person on social media, are they funny? Do they make jokes? Are they sarcastic? Are they you know, ironic? Um, are they political? You know, if Trump says something, do they jump in? Or do they not jump in? When, you know, and you, 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 you push brands really hard to, to figure out what their personality is so when you hand that over to a community manager, they can act spontaneously versus having to call the president and say, hey, this just happened. Are we supposed to jump in here or not? Right. Um, and so your brand should have personality, but your company should have that same personality too. And it's, a, you know, it's an interesting exercise to really go through that um, with folks and particularly listening to what the employees think the personality of your brand, your company is versus what you think personality of your company is because there's probably a lot of blind spots that you're missing and if there's not then great you win 
<laughs> There's going to be blind spots. Um, I sometimes find a, a similar question to be useful, which is, you know, if your brand was a meal, how would you describe it? And the reason why I like that one is because I've often find it, it helps some brands really distinguish themselves quickly and easily as to where they sit on that scale of value and quality and exclusivity, right? If you're you know, if you're at a fine steakhouse with an expensive bottle of red as your description, you know, it's it's very easy to pick that apart from, you know, we're going to my little corner cafe. It's still great food, uh, but it's a little more relaxed. And uh, mm-hmm. I sometimes find that helps people un- unpick that idea. Yeah, and I've used that a lot too. What, what, what that doesn't quite do for me is it doesn't give you the react to it. Good point. Somebody just said, you taste terrible. <laughs> what's your reply right as this as this brand of food you know how do you reply um and that's what you're really preparing for right is is um all the you know, all the praise on the internet is great soak it up but that one person that says you know your mom's ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you respond to that um and that's you know you have to be able to have clear clear ideal of how you're going to respond to those types of things that's a great point that is a really good point. The reaction piece is powerful. And I can actually imagine right after this, having a conversation with our fireside team of, look, when we onboard these social media clients, we need to, we need to talk about that as a, as a descriptor. Yeah. Um, fascinating. So you left Campari for Raptor. The timing obviously was fascinating. It was right before COVID hit, right? Boy, this was, I'm telling you. So yeah, I, I left in August of last year and I was doing quite nicely, um, working, you know, just doing what I was going to do with storytelling and, and helping my husband's gym business. And um, then COVID hit and all the brands, I was working on four pr- products that were supposed to lar- launch in H1 of this year. All of them got pushed to next year. So all of my, my consulting gigs dried up. Um, you know, and then, uh, so I was doing pro bono work <laughs> and I, I basically, I, I just basically post on LinkedIn. I said, uh, I will give one hour of free communications consulting to any minority owned business or LGBT owned business. And it was fascinating. I have provided insights to a dog washing company in a dog washing business in San Francisco, an LGBT, um, vocal cello duo, uh, a, a wine, a women's wine publishing company. Um, like it, it's been fascinating. All these great people I've been able to talk to, and an Egyptian skincare company. So, um, so I had all this great pro, pro bono work I was doing, and really not making any money, but fascinating stuff. And then the George Floyd situation hit, and I haven't been busier in my entire life trying to help companies, you know, deal with how they're going to communicate. Um, through this. Uh, and it's, it's a really interesting practice. I, you know, I kind of love crisis communications because it, it, it's a problem that has to be solved. And so you get to play Nancy Drew um, or Sherlock and uh, go through the steps of like, okay, well, let's see how, where's the answer? Well, where is the answer that, that fits the situation that we're in at this very moment? That might change in an hour. Right now, this is this is how we're going to approach this. And again, it also provides you the chance to kind of awaken a lot of people on the executive team that they weren't prepared for this. Mm. Or it wouldn't have been a crisis. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, 
of course, we all see the, um, you know, the Nikes of the world um, and how they respond. Have you seen really good and bad examples post-George Floyd, Floyd of, of brands that you can talk about that have done a good job or a bad job? Uh, you know, I... It's, it would be really difficult for me to point out and say, well, this brand has done, you know, oh, what an outstanding job leaning in on something like this. I think the brands that have done a good job, like I said, already had it in their DNA mm. to do a good job. Like they did, you know, they did what they, their, their brand dictated they would do. The ones that have done it poorly are the ones that have no purpose had no purpose in speaking, leaning in in the first place and didn't do it in an authentic way or didn't do it with any meaning whatsoever. Um, and, and like I said, um, I'm a little over the, we're, we, we weren't doing a good enough job, we'll do better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess anybody that wrote that comment, I, I suppose everybody should be checking them in two months to see how they did better. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, uh, I think, you know, Jim Beam did a really good job of, um, I, I, I thought Jim Beam did a really good job because they posted it and they immediately got a bunch of racist comments. And you would think Jim Beam, which is kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a whiskey, it's an American whiskey, mm-hmm. um, would shy away from clapping, clapping back at racists, but they did. They went straight at him and, and basically said, you're free to drink any other bourbon than ours. And I thought that was great. That, that right there was somebody said, the personality of the brand doesn't tolerate this. And therefore, we're going to clap back. What was the initial response? I didn't see it. Their initial it was, Yeah, it, 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 was, it was the uh, very typical. Uh, we recognize the importance of, of all, you know, uh, of diversity, Black Lives Matter. Um, and, um, and we can all do better. It was, the, it was the message everybody was kind of putting out there. But a lot of brands just stopped with that and didn't respond after you know, the, some racist comments popped up. Mm-hmm. What I love is a lot of brands were self-policed by their own consumers. So those racists who, who spoke up on brands posting typically got smacked down hard by other fans of that brand. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, too, to think about as your brand wades into these types of things is, you know, do you, do you have the conviction that your consumers are going to rise up and battle you, battle for you. Mm-hmm. And to move it away from the Black Lives Matter conversation, um, Aperol, at one point, the New York Times said, Aperol Spritz is not a good cocktail. And everybody was up in arms and said, oh no, you know, they're attacking our biggest brand globally. They're attacking our biggest cocktail globally. Oh, we should respond. We should do all these things. And I said, Give it 30 minutes, because I think the internet is going to respond for us. And within minutes, the New York Times was getting eviscerated like, <laughs> by everybody, celebrities, chefs, everybody saying, you're absolutely wrong, New York Times. And it's okay. one of those times where we all had conviction, you know what, our consumers are here for us because we are them and they are us. Mm-hmm. So they'll defend us. So that's the other thing, too, is to think about... Um, if you wade into a situation, is your are your consumers going to stand up for you if you get stuff in return? And and employees too. Yeah. Um, 
I also think in most cases as well, unless it's a mega brand, most of these campaigns of, you know, well, you're, you're in support of Black Lives Matters. I'm going to say all lives matter. I'm not going to come to your gym anymore. I'm not going to come to your restaurant anymore. And great that the, some brands choose to respond to that and stick with their conviction. I also think in most cases, those um, uh, those pushes to get people to stop going to that place never really materialize anyway. And I appreciate that's not the point, but I also appreciate that when I think about our audience of small business owners, a drop of 5% in some of their customers can be devastating for them. So I'm sure that is a thought that goes through their mind when they're wondering to what degree they're comfortable to stick with their conviction. Yeah, it, it, it for sure you need to you need to think that through, right? So um, the majority of the internet are, is the, the the majority of the internet is the vocal minority. Mm. So so you have to assume um, that if you post something and you have a bunch of people saying, da, 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 first, were those your customers in the first place? Did they just happen onto your brand? Did somebody point them in your direction? Um, I had one brand, for example that I completely forgot when the brand launched, the Facebook page was filled. Our fans were basically, I put this very, very kindly and very, very PC. Um, they weren't the highest, the upperest of crust individuals. And they filled up our, you know, our fan page immediately. And now fast forward 15 years later, we posted something about Black Lives Matter and all of a sudden, all these races stuck their head out of the, out of the gopher hole. And, and, you know, and the brand manager's like, oh, no, look at all these comments. And I was like, I said, those aren't your customers. Don't worry about it. Do not worry about it. But that being said, let's, you know, let's just take away, let's say it's not the Black Lives Matter issue. It's any issue. Mm -hmm. You need to decide if you can authentically speak about that subject. If more than 50% of your audience doesn't believe in, you know, one side of the equation, you might just say, okay, we have, there's a threat, you need to assess your risk. Should we step away from that? Should we not say something about that? And that's very real for a small business. I, I absolutely get your point. Um, and you need to think about that kind of thing. But, but I always say, you know, the loudest people on the internet probably aren't your customers to start with. Yeah. The angriest people on the internet aren't your customers. Yeah. I think so that's really, fair. really think about that. And, and, and you're right. You know, you see these things, a million moms is rising up against LGBT, uh, you know, dowdy fabric softener because they got two senior citizen homosexuals in a closet. Um, you know what? It, it's never mad. It's never materialized to anything that's ever hurt Procter & Gamble. No. And I mean, look at Nike. If I remember how it went when they brought Kaepernick into their ads, mm -hmm. I believe the story went that actually a lot of people who campaigned against Nike went and bought Nike gear so they could burn it, which was the exact opposite of the intention of the call to burn your Nike gear. It was not to go give them more money to burn it. It was you had it and you were going to burn it. Yeah, so their, sales, their sales went up and it wasn't just because of that. Their, their sales went up and sustained because people were making a point mm -hmm. against that. Mm -hmm. so, so you see there that Nike took a firm stand in that, that, that aligned perfectly with their values and stuck with it. And they're now being hugely rewarded because of that. 
Absolutely. I think to tie it all together, you know, when we're thinking about that example of the small business owner assessing risk for what they're about to say, um, they also need to assess that risk of, of the internal piece with the employees, right? For so many small businesses, they rely on one or two people. And if those one or two people leave, then that can be devastating for yeah. them. Instead of just thinking, well, if we, if we say this and therefore five, 10% of our customers leave, that's one risk, but they can't forget what would happen if they don't say anything and they're one yeah. or two critical employees leave. Yeah, don't ever surprise your employees, by the way. Don't put a message out on social media in support of a cause without first telling your employees about that cause mm-hmm. and about you, that you do it. I mean, that's huge. I always counsel folks that, you know, if there's something that's going to get out there and you need to still act with haste, but, but your employees need to be bought in. Your employees need to know. Again, they're going to echo that message across their social media one way or another, bad or good. So you need to make sure that they're in, they're in that you explain why you're doing it, all of these things. This aligns with our values that therefore we are going to say this. Right. Um, and that's why you need those values because, because you need to align the explanation with why you're doing something um, with the communication. I often think companies don't use those values enough actually during the recruitment process. I mean, what a critically important thing to share, not only because, as we already talked about, um, those of certain demographics are looking for those those values and purposes for an, in an employer, um, but also because you don't necessarily want to bring people into your business who don't meet your values because that's only going to cause other issues anyway. And it's yeah. certainly in this specific case going to cause issues suddenly if you surprise the 10 new employees that you're you know, in favor of supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing, too, in that hiring process, it's not enough to, to talk, oh, we have the value of inclusivity. Prove it. Right. Tell me what. Tell me what it is. What have you done exactly? So, so always have those proof points. These values don't just sit out there in the ether, you know, and get rolled out for a president's speech every holiday. Um, you, you really need to revisit them and say, you know, every quarter, how have we lived up to this value? Write it down and be public about it. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people are cruising around your website when they're looking to get hired. They're cruising around your LinkedIn profile. And if you were to say, here's the value and this is what we did this quarter to live it, as an employee, I'd be damn impressed. Absolutely. Dave, thank you very much. Will you please share with our audience where they can find Raptor and, of course, the T-shirt store? <laughs> well, Raptor Communications is very easy to find. It's Raptor Communications. Um, and uh, the T-shirt line, I, it's very racy. I don't know that it, that, I'm not oh, sure they, they, this, audience, this audience is badass, Dave. <laughs> I mean, everyone usually that tunes into this, they've already gone out on a limb and built their own business or at least started or in the process of starting. They've already got some guts and balls. Okay, okay. So I'm on, I'm on Etsy and the store is called Oops, I'm Gay. So um, just look for that. I think if you just do Oops, it comes up. So, um, and uh, there's some fun stuff up there. So, uh, and, and pardon it if it is. <laughs> If it offends anybody. (laughs) Well, if it offends them, maybe they're not my audience. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Dave, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Dax. Appreciate it.